I tell you, I am so excited about our Stories at Springbrook segment. Um, We're going to be sharing stories uh, every week uh, from somebody at Springbrook where God is doing, you know, some work in their life. And I love hearing stories. I have never heard the same story twice. You know, one of the things that uh, Jessica was uh, mentioning as she was talking about what God has been doing in her life was the importance of having routine and rhythms. And I tell you, it is so important that we have routines and rhythms in our life, especially when it comes to doing devotions or studying scripture or meeting together. It is so important that we develop rhythms in our life. That's how we encourage one another. That's how we grow in our faith. And so one of the rhythms that we're going to be celebrating in Springbrook is stories at Springbrook. And so if you have a story that you'd like to share, if you have a relationship with Christ, we want to encourage you. Uh, you can go to our website, springbrook.org slash stories, and we'd love the opportunity uh, to hear what God is doing in your life and then give you an opportunity to share that with others um, at Springbrook um, as well. You know, we started our Peacemaker series uh, almost two and a half months ago, almost uh, 10 weeks ago. And when we started this series, it was the intention for us to be able to equip uh, people at Springbrook for any potential conflict that would arise in their home as we were going through our quarantine uh, season. And so uh, we started looking at um, biblical principles for how to resolve conflict uh, in relationships. And uh, we wanted to equip people uh, for conflict in their home because we knew that people were going to be trapped together for weeks. Little did we know it was going to be months. And we knew that there was conflict in relationships. We knew that there was conflict in marriage. We knew that there was going to be conflict as people experienced loneliness, as people figured out how to engage uh, with one another from a community perspective as well. And so we were going to do a series on uh, margin, you know, priorities and where we spend our time. But we felt like this Peacemaker series was really going to be important for our church as we went through um, this season of being in quarantine together. And so I hope that you have been blessed as we've gone through each week looking at different principles um, for how to resolve uh, conflict in your life and in your relationships. I had no idea when we started this series that conflict was going to spill out, spill out of our homes into our communities like it has And many of you are experiencing conflict in a way that we never anticipated as we were going into this series. But I can tell you, no matter what conflict you're going through right now, these principles that we're learning as we go through this series together, they are valid for any conflict. And they are valid for whatever reconciliation that we need to work on together individually, whether it be racial, whether it be family, whether it be work-related. We all are in the midst of conflict because we are in a fallen, broken world. And we know that there is going to be conflict. And so these principles that we've been looking at are transferable regardless of what you have going on in your life. And so I just wanted to take a moment to remind you of this. It's kind of a check. We're, we're a little more halfway through this series, but it's important for us to remember the context for these principles and how they all fit together. And so if you've missed a message in the past, I want to encourage you to go back and I want to encourage you to continue with us as we continue to move through um, this series um, together. You know, we were looking at... Uh, biblical principles for resolving conflict. And we talked about the fact that in any given conflict, um, there are people that will try to escape conflict or people that will attack in conflict. And we're seeing a lot of attack in the news right now with regard to how people handle conflict. It's easy for people to lash out at the people around them when they're hurt, when they're frustrated, and there's conflict. And so many people will attack others uh, in the midst of conflict. You know what some people do? They escape. They don't want to talk about it. Sometimes people are accused of sticking their heads in the sand and and ignoring the issues. Well, that's an escape kind of a response. And so in any given context, you know, people in conflict will either try to escape or try to attack 
in conflict. And so we want to be peacemakers. Peacemakers are intentional about recognizing the issue and then work together on trying to reconcile their relationship so they can get on top of conflict. You see, we don't want to slip down the slope and attack. We don't want to slip down the slope and ignore. We have to talk about our conflict. There's principles that we can go through as we work on how to healthy, in a healthy way, work through conflict. This series has been broken up into four different categories. We started off by looking at the priorities. We need to remember the priorities in our conflict. Conflict can be healthy. It's an opportunity for us to talk about unmet needs, unmet expectations. Conflict can be an opportunity for us to point people to who we are in Christ and to let God speak into the issues that we're having to wrestle through. And so that first segment, that first category was about remembering our priorities as we navigate through conflict. The second category was um, taking responsibility for ourselves. We need to make sure that we remove the log from our own eye. We need to make sure that there's nothing that we've done in the context of our relationships that is causing conflict. And so we looked at the importance of taking responsibility for ourselves. And then we also looked at the importance of restoring others in a healthy way. We can attack people. We can make sure that our position is known, but we can also step back and look for how to engage in conversation and how can we restore a relationship. And so we looked at that for two weeks, and Pastor Tim looked at that last weekend as it talked about how to talk to somebody in a healthy way and restore them in relationships. As we move into the back half of this series, as we move towards the end, we're going to be looking specifically at how we can reconcile our relationships with one another. Reconciliation is a biblical principle. It is not a cultural principle. The Bible talks about reconciliation. It tells us how to be reconciled to our neighbor. It tells us how to work through conflict. These are important principles that we're studying. And I'm looking forward this morning to be able to talk about what it means to be reconciled to one another and ultimately to God through Christ as we look about this issue of, of forgiveness. And I can tell you it is somewhat uncomfortable for me um, to be sitting um, in this environment, it's kind of a clean, stable environment, and I'm, I'm talking academically or idealistically about forgiveness. And so the Bible is very clear about what forgiveness looks like, and we're going to look at some principles for that this morning. But sometimes these principles are difficult because there's so much hostility and pain that it can be difficult for us to be able to put these principles into our lives. And so we need to step back and we need to catch our breath and we need to look, understand these principles. And so in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the conflict, we have to stop and we have to remember that our, we have priorities. It's about pointing people to Christ. We have to remember to take responsibility for ourselves. We have to remember to restore each other. And then we have to remember the importance of reconciliation. You know, as a Christ follower, I trust God's word. I have a, a relationship with Christ. And as I go to God's word, it affects the way that I see myself. It affects the way that I see the world. And my relationship with Christ and my biblical worldview helps me to navigate and work through conflict in a healthy way. I also understand that many people do not have a relationship with Christ. And if that's where you are this morning, I am so glad that you are with us this morning. You're going to benefit from some of the biblical principles that we're going to look at to how to experience forgiveness and how to be reconciled to your neighbor. But I want to encourage you that ultimately reconciliation occurs when you understand fully your need for a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, these past several weeks, I have been asked so many times about the end of the world. 
you think this is going to be the end? I mean, people are looking around at what's happening. They're looking at what we've been going through. And there's a lot of questions that people have about what the end is going to look like. And I want to encourage you, if that's where you're at this morning, we're glad you're with us. The end is near. (laughs) But we don't know the day or the hour. Jesus himself doesn't know the day or the hour. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on in our lives that would signal the end is, is near. In fact, I read last night that there was an asteroid that was supposed to come really close to the earth uh, last night. So I didn't even bother looking up the information on that because that's just one of those other marks of the sign of the times that people are concerning themselves about. You know, Jesus talks a lot about what the end is going to be looking like. He says in Matthew uh, chapter 24, he says to this to his disciples, You're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not alarmed, for these things must take place, but the end is not near. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom will rise against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. It's going to be bad. But then he says this in verse 8, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. You see, we are experiencing right now you know, turmoil in our culture, in our nation. We're experiencing turmoil globally as we come to grips with being stuck in quarantine together. But these are just the beginning of the birth pains. It's going to get worse. And we're being tested right now. The way that we respond now is going to be an indicator of how we're going to respond as it gets worse. And so we want to stop and we want to focus ourselves on these biblical principles that are so important. Because there is always going to be conflict. There was conflict a year ago. There was conflict six months ago. There's conflict that we're going through today. Conflict is not going to go away. You know why? Because this world has fallen. It's broken. You know, we talk about the three circles of relationships in Springbrook. We talk about that a lot. Maybe you've seen that diagram. You know, this is a fallen and broken world. I don't need to tell you that. You can look around and you can see the brokenness that is in the world. But you know what? It wasn't always that way. That was not God's original design. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They had fellowship with God. They were in communion with God. And then sin entered into the world. And all the brokenness, all the brokenness that we're experiencing, all the conflict right now that we're experiencing has to do with sin that has entered into the world. That's the bad news. The good news is this that God has a plan for that, that if we repent of our sin, if we believe that he is God, if we place our faith in him, then we can begin to restore and experience that relationship that we were created to have in the first place. The good news is that Jesus Christ as God is able to pay the penalty for our sins. As a human, he took that on himself. And when we come to believe that, we experience forgiveness. If you are a Christ follower, you have experienced forgiveness. The wages of our sin is death. We are separated from God from all eternity, but we can experience forgiveness as a result of who we are in Christ. And so forgiveness has a biblical principle rooted in it. That's the foundation for how we are to understand forgiveness. It's so much more than my forgiving you or you forgiving me. Forgiveness is rooted in who we are in Christ. And when we experience that forgiveness as Christ followers, we are able to then begin to recover and restore our relationship with God. We have two feet. One's planted firmly in this world and one is planted firmly in heaven. 
If you are a Christ follower, you've experienced that forgiveness. And that is the foundation for which you are to understand what forgiveness is. And if you're not a Christ follower, that is, you need to know that if you want to experience forgiveness in a fresh new way, if you want to be able to be able to turn those hurts over to God, if you want to understand how you can ask for forgiveness from people around you or experience forgiveness, the fullness of that can only be realized as a result of who you are in Jesus Christ. And if you do not have a relationship with him, or if you're questions about that, or you're not sure, then you most likely don't. We want to encourage you to explore how to have a relationship with Christ, because that is the foundation of our faith and our relationship with God. In fact, in 1 John, John writes this, if we confess our sins, God is faithful, he is just, he will forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins to God, he forgives us. He forgives us because of who we are in Christ. Forgiveness is the bedrock of our faith. In fact, we looked at that at our Good Friday service at Easter when Jesus was hanging on the cross when he was being crucified. He looked out at the audience and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus, at the very heart of who he is, is concerned about our experiencing forgiveness. Jesus Christ is God, and as such, he has risen from the grave, he, and through his death on the cross, he has paid the penalty for our sin, and we are able to experience forgiveness. It is the bedrock of our faith, and important, and that's what we find in Scripture, and why it is so important. The world cannot inform my understanding of reconciliation. The world cannot inform my understanding of what forgiveness is. I look to Scripture, and then those inform how I have relationships with people around me. You know, interestingly enough, last week, Pastor Tim was looking at the beginning of reconciliation and how we restore our relationships with one another. And he said in Matthew chapter 18, which is the passage that he was looking at, um, he says that if we're going to be reconciled, we need to, to go to our brother. We need to get together and we need to get together with them and tell them how we have wronged, how they have wronged us. And if we've wronged somebody else, we need to go to them and we need to repent and ask for forgiveness uh, for that as well. But in verse 15, um, Jesus is talking to the disciples and Peter is sitting there. And he said this in verse 15, if your brother has sinned against you, go and tell him his fault. The fault, but just between you and him, go and tell them uh, his fault. And if he listens to him, you have gained your brother. You have taken the necessary steps to begin to restore your relationship. And so Peter hears that. And so he hears, okay, if I want to be in a relationship with somebody, I just need to go and, and tell them what their fault was. And then hopefully they will hear that. They'll ask for forgiveness and my relationship will be restored. And you know, what's interesting is, is when Peter hears that, I don't think that that really sits well with him. Because Peter, in some ways, is, is still resentful. When people wrong us and we ask for forgiveness and they forgive us, there's something still in, about us that carries that around. We have to constantly remember the importance of what forgiveness is. We don't always forgive people even though they've asked us to forgive them. But that's what Jesus has said. You know, if you, if you confront somebody and you ask for forgiveness and they, and they give that to you, then you've won your brother over. Peter's, I'm not sure, is sitting well with him. And so he comes up in verse 21, the beginning of the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, well, how often 
will my brother sin against me that I must forgive him? How many times do I have to do this? If it keeps happening, do I have to keep forgiving him? You know, as many as seven times? How many times should I forgive him? Up to seven? You know, there was an Old Testament principle. Three was kind of the magic number. And so Peter, in his mind, from an Old Testament perspective, is thinking, well, I know I should probably forgive somebody at least three times, but if I forgive him seven, is that enough? I mean, that's, all, that's more than twice of what I would have thought I was expected to forgive somebody. Jesus says to him, I say to you, not seven times, not three, not seven, but 77 times. And so how you interpret that passage, I know a lot of times people can kind of get hung up on that. It's not three times. It's not seven times. Jesus says 77 times. And so there's some different interpretations of how you could understand that. You could understand that as 77 times, which means sevenfold. It could be 490 times. You know, a lot of times people will look at that passage and they want clarification on what the 70 is. Is it 77 times? Is it 7 times 70? But we can't get caught up on it because at the end of the day, that's not the point Jesus is trying to make. The point that Jesus is making is it's not 3, it's not 7, it's not 77, it's not 490 times. You need to forgive somebody as many times as they ask you. We need to forgive others. And we need to keep on forgiving. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be consequences. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But when somebody asks for forgiveness, it's our responsibility as Christ followers to forgive them. Now, we still have to work on the relationship and there's still some things that need to happen. But forgiveness is the bedrock and the foundation of our relationship with God because of who we are in Christ. And it's also foundational for how we relate to one another. It's hard. It's hard to forgive somebody sometimes. You know, but it is also very important. And Jesus knows that. Some of you have been hurt in ways and you just don't know that you can forgive. Some of you have been hurt in some ways and, and you're still holding on to that. You've forgiven, but yet you still hold on to that resentment and it's not healthy. You need to release that and you need to continue to go back to talk to your brother or your sister. And as you work through those dynamics, don't be someone that escapes. In relationships, when we're talking about reconciliation, when we're talking about staying on top, top of, you know, conflict, it begins by entering into dialogue. As painful as that is, we have to enter into di- dialogue with one another. We can't escape and we can't attack. We need to be constantly working on how we can keep the conversations at the top. Forgiveness is difficult and it's hard, but it's very important. And so Jesus, understanding Peter's heart, wants to make sure he understands this point. He says this, beginning in verse 23, He said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle an account, settle a debt with one of his services, one of his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And so the master wants to settle his debts with his servants. The first one that gets brought to him owes him 10,000 talents. Now, I'll stop there for a second because that kind of might escape a value for us. We don't use the word talons, you know, in our vocabulary. You know, depending upon how much somebody makes an hour, it's $5 an hour, $8 an hour, $15 an hour. It depends on how much you would make an hour as to how much that's worth, right? Because we're talking about a day's wages. Depends on how many hours you work. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into actually coming up with a calculation for what that would be worth today. The calculations that I've looked at in my mind, I've always had a calculation in my mind, but the range 
based on the average amount a worker would have been made, making that time, the range is somewhere between one and seven billion dollars. Billion. And so I've always thought of that as a, you know, maybe somewhere in the three to four range. I was reading last week, some estimated to be up to seven. You know, conserv- let's just say it's a billion dollars. Let's go really conservative today about a billion dollars. The master brings his servant into him and says, you owe me a billion dollars. When he began to settle this, the servant comes up to him. He says, I cannot pay. The master ordered him. I'm going to sell you and your wife and your children. I'm going to sell everything that you have to collect this debt so that payment might be made. In verse 26, it says this, the servant fell on his knees. He implored him, have patience with me. Please, I will pay you everything back. I'm thinking, where are you going to come up with a million dollars to do that? But the point is, is please have mercy on me. Please don't sell me into slavery. Please give me an opportunity to pay this back to you. The master says to him, out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Isn't that amazing? I mean, sometimes if somebody owes me five or ten dollars, I will forget about that. If somebody owes me a thousand dollars, I think, man, we'd have to have a conversation. Somebody owed you a million dollars, a billion dollars and you forgave that debt, would that be a big deal to you? If somebody just came up, if the bank walked up to you and said, you know what? Keep your house. Don't worry about that. Hey, take all those bills you have. Don't worry about that. Would you be excited about that? I know I would. I would be excited about that. A billion dollars is what this master has relieved his servant of. And so the servant, I'm sure, is excited as any one of us would have been. And so it says that same servant in verse 28, that same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him some money. Now, I don't know what he's thinking. Maybe he's thinking he needs to go out and get all the money back that people owe him so he can pay back his master. I don't know what he's thinking. But the bottom line is it says that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's another one of those terms we don't use, a hundred denarii. If you were going to value that today, we're talking maybe $15,000. $15,000 is what this servant owes him. He seized the servant and he began to choke him, it says in verse 28, saying, pay me what you owe me. You owe me this. What does somebody owe you? You know, do you feel like you're entitled to something? Do you feel like somebody owes you? When you think about forgiveness, are we going after what we owe or somebody owes us? He says to his fellow servant, pay me what you owe. His fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience on me and I will pay you back. The servant refused. The fellow servant refused and he put him in prison until he could pay back the debt. Well, what are the odds of him being paying back the debt if he's been thrown in prison? Pretty much none. He's taken his livelihood. He's taken everything. He's thrown him in prison. And he refused to forgive his fellow servant the debt that was owed him. After just having been forgiven a billion dollars, let's say, he refused to forgive the debt of his fellow servant 
$15,000. Does that seem like injustice to you? It does to me. The parallel that we're going to see in just a moment is God has forgiven us. How much more, how much easier should it be for us to forgive those people around us? You see, we have received forgiveness and we give forgiveness. Forgiveness is not just a one-way street. We're going to talk about forgiveness in just a few moments. And I want you to be thinking about where you would have an opportunity to go to someone else and ask them to forgive you. Typically, when we think of forgiveness, what's the first thing that we think about? Like Peter, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? When we think about forgiveness, our first thought is what is owed to us. That's just instinctive behavior. It's not your fault. This is a fallen, broken world. It began with Adam and Eve. We all think about forgiveness from the perspective of what is owed to us. And so this morning, I want you to think about where you owe someone else. I want you to be thinking about who do you need to go to ask forgiveness for, from. Because if we turn the tables on what's going on right now in our culture, in our conflict, in our marriages that have a failure rate of over 50% if they get married, there is a problem. We are all clinging to what is entitled to us. And if we can shift and start thinking about where we have opportunities to ask others to forgive us, we will turn the table on our culture and what it means to be reconciled to one another. In verse 31, when the fellow servants' friends saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. The master summoned the guy and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you a billion dollars and you pleaded with me and now you're not going to forgive your fellow servant $15,000? In verse 33, he says this, should not have you had had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? You see, we need to think about forgiveness from the perspective of what we have received and then give that to someone else. We need to stop thinking about forgiveness from the perspective of what we're entitled to. And we need to begin by first remembering what we have received. The master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgive you the debt because you pleaded with me and you should have received uh, mercy, you should have given mercy to your fellow servant. In anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, it says in verse 34, until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus says this in verse 35, and I don't want you to miss this. So as my heavenly father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. We need to forgive people around us when they ask. Is it hard? You bet. Is it difficult? You bet. I look at some of the things that are happening in the community in which I live, and it is appalling. It's embarrassing. I don't know what to do about it other than to point people to what Scripture says about what it means to be reconciled to one another. When somebody starts talking to me about reconciliation, I want to engage in that, but my mind goes right to what Scripture says about what reconciliation is. And in order for us to be reconciled to one another, we have to stop, and we have to listen to one another, 
And we need to talk to one another. That is at the root of what forgiveness is. And we need to show mercy to one another. We need to show show mercy. There's a difference between mercy and grace. You know, we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, not by works so that no one can boast. We have the free gift of salvation. God just offered that to us for just out of the kindness of his heart. If I got up and just handed somebody $10, that would be me showering grace on you. I'm giving you something that you did not deserve. That's what God gives us in Christ. We are saved by God's grace through faith. We have been given a gift. That's what grace is. Mercy is withholding something that is due to you. And so if you owed me $10 and I said, forget about it, that's me showing mercy. That's completely different than I just got up and gave you $10 for no reason. That's grace. Mercy is withholding judgment. It's withholding penalty. It's releasing you from what is due to you, but there's a decision on behalf of a person to release that. That's what mercy is. We have mercy. We are forgiven. That's what forgiveness is. We are saved by God's grace, but we receive mercy from God because of our faith in Christ. He is withholding judgment from us. When we die, when we stand before God, God is going to show us mercy. He's going to withhold from us the penalty of our sin. He's going to withhold from us the fact that we are due to be separated from him from all eternity. And he's going to enable us to experience the grace that we were saved when we received when we were alive. And so forgiveness is an act of mercy. It's the intentional decision. It's a choice that we're making. The power of forgiveness is on the person that's giving forgiveness. A lot of times people feel like they're a victim when they have to forgive someone. But the inverse is actually true. The person that is extending forgiveness is the person that is in the position of power. You have the ability to release someone from a debt. And that's where the joy comes from in forgiveness. Forgiveness is the process whereby we show mercy on someone because of the mercy that has been shown to us. And forgiveness is a process. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's something that we have to work through. We need to encourage one another. We need to find others that can be praying for us. Forgiveness is a process. And so I want to encourage you this morning to be thinking about as you leave today, or as you think about your day, as you think about next week, I want to encourage you to be thinking about who can I go to to extend forgiveness? Who can I ask? How have I wronged you? Be in a position to restore a relationship. Take the initiative Don't rely on attack and escape responses to work through your conflict. It is not going to work. We have to think about principles for getting on top of conflict, and it begins by understanding what we've received when we think about our relationship with Christ. But it is a process. And I'm going to give you seven steps that you can apply um, this morning to think about what this process looks like. Because one of the things that happens is when we think about forgiveness, we want to jump right to the forgiveness part. We want to experience mercy as quickly as possible. We don't want to have to go through the process. It's like, oh, I did this. Forgive me. And then we want to hide our eyes. Well, I asked for forgiveness. Now you have to do it. That's not the way this works. 
Forgiveness is a process, and you have to take time, and you have to work through it. You have to be intentional about it. When you think about forgiveness, the first thing that you have to think about is, is who has been affected. Because we have to address everyone that is involved in the process. Sometimes I might have hurt one person. I think it's just one person, but in reality, as a husband, when I mistreat my wife, when I am not the husband that I need to be, I'm telling you, it affects the relationship with your kids. If you want to be a good husband, men, you need to start by honoring and lifting your wife up. Your kids see that. And if you need to apologize to your wife, I can tell you right now, you're going to need to apologize to your kids as well because they've seen your behavior. They've seen what you've done and that has affected them. Or wives, if there's something that you need to ask forgiveness for from your husbands, you need to do the same. You need to go to your husband and your kids and you need to get it out on the table and you need to move towards asking for forgiveness. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, if you've said something to a neighbor about another neighbor, I guarantee you other neighbors have heard about it. We need to think about everyone that's been involved in something that we've done that needs to be corrected. We need to address everyone involved in the process. And then when we think about this process, we need to avoid, avoid at all costs the words if, but, or maybe. I am so sorry I did that. But, (laughs) have you ever heard that one? But negates the request. When you try to rationalize what you've done, or you try to rationalize behavior, or rationalize a hurt, those words negate the request for forgiveness. I went into the refrigerator the other night. I got the last mango keto popsicle. I loved it. Got in there, started eating that. My wife goes, oh, that was Jennifer's. I was like, oh, I didn't know. And so Jennifer came in. I'm thinking, do I need to ask forgiveness? Am I just sorry? If someone had labeled that, I would have known. Don't rationalize your behavior. I am so sorry I did not know that was your popsicle. Now, that's a very minor infraction. In fact, she made light of it. I put it back in the fridge. She got half of it. You know, we're talking about a a popsicle. Some of you have been hurt emotionally, sexually, physically. We all experience hurts, and you can't even compare an ice cream to some of the things that some of you have experienced. We have church planting pastors We have missionaries. We have people in parts of the country right now that are experiencing persecution. They're giving their lives by just simply trying to share the good news about Christ with others. And when they go into those situations and people are hurting them, they have to make an intentional decision like Christ did to say, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they go back into it. And you can't compare the abuse and the pain that people are feeling to a popsicle. But you know what? From God's perspective, there is no good and bad sin. A lot of times when I'm talking to people about sin, they think, well, it's just a popsicle. You don't understand. A popsicle is imperfection. God is perfect and we are not. It doesn't matter how big or how little your sin is. We all have a sin problem. And from God's perspective, when he looks down, it does not matter how big or how little it is to him. Now, it's going to matter to the people around you, I guarantee you. But our separation from God has nothing to do with big or little. It has to do with our understanding, our need for forgiveness in everything little and big. And so if we're going to move towards reconciliation and forgiveness in our relationships, we need to address everyone involved. We need to avoid saying if, but, and maybe, and we need to admit specific actions and attitudes. You might go into a situation and be apologizing for something that's not even a problem. 
And so we need to understand specifically what the hurt has been. I'm sorry that I ate your popsicle. I'm sorry that when we were speaking last night, I used language that was completely inappropriate to you and in front of the kids. I'm sorry that I spoke ill of my neighbor. So we need to apologize specifically for the hurts and the pains that we've caused others around us. And we need to acknowledge that hurt. I'm sorry when I did that, I know that must have hurt. And so we need to acknowledge the hurt and the pain that we've caused others. And then we need to accept the consequences. Because there are some times when even though we've done something wrong, there's going to be a consequence. When the officer comes up to my door and I roll down my window and I say, I'm sorry, officer, I was speeding. Will you please forgive me? Yes, I will forgive you. But here's your ticket. There are consequences to our behavior. You know, there's many stories. I've, there was an illustration when I was down in Texas. There was a woman that took the life of a family. She was a murderer on death row. And while she was on death row, she came to faith in Christ. And she went to the family and she asked for forgiveness. That would be difficult to forgive somebody that had taken the life of a loved one, wouldn't it? I hope I'm never tested in that way. She asked for forgiveness. It was on them to forgive her. I don't know how the story turned out, but I can never remember watching the news story about, oh, here it is, another born again Christian wanting forgiveness, thinking that they're going to get out of it. Forgiveness is not a get out of jail card. In her apology, she wrote, I am sorry that I did this. I've hurt you. I've hurt my community. I've hurt my family. Did not justify her behavior. She admitted that she took the lives of a family member, that innocent lives, and she acknowledged the pain and the hurt. I know what I've done to you is painful, and you might not be able to forgive me. And I also understand that I'm going to be facing the death penalty. I'm not asking you to take that away. I'm asking you to forgive me. I know where I'm going. I want to be right with my maker, and I want to be right with you before I go. There are consequences sometimes to our behavior even though we asked for forgiveness. And so if you go into this thinking, I'm going to ask for forgiveness and everything's going to be fine, that's not necessarily the case. And you might have to continue to push through and work through that. Get a counselor. Get some help. As we move through this series, we've got counselors available to you. Be intentional about doing whatever you need to do to work through it in a healthy way. And then you need to alter your thoughts and your behavior. One of the things that Peter was concerned about was, well, if I forgive somebody, they're just going to keep coming back. I mean, how many times is this going to have to happen? If you're going to ask for forgiveness, you need to change your behavior. And that was something that God really convicted of me because I was really used to filing in going, hey, I'm sorry for this and, you know, saying some prayers and then next week doing the same thing. I got in a routine of just habitually asking for forgiveness, but never truly repenting. We need to repent. We need to change our behavior. I'm sorry I spoke to you like that. I'm not going to do it again. And if you do it again, get some help. You know, because sometimes we get stuck into behaviors and those need professional counseling. I can counsel somebody from a pastoral perspective. I can tell somebody what the Bible says. I can pray for you. I can get you involved in a men's group. I can meet with you weekly. There are some things that I can do to encourage you. But sometimes there is pain, there's anguish, there are behaviors that are deep-rooted. And you need to see a professional counselor to get to those things so that you can address those. And if you want help in that area, if you would like to see a professional counselor to get to the root of some behavioral problems, then I'm going to encourage you to talk with me. Please let me know. We've got counselors available to help you work through those deep-seated behaviors that you're having difficulty shaking. You need to change your thoughts and your behavior, and then you can ask for forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness after we understand there's a process of moving towards it. 
That's the root of what forgiveness is all about. It's a process of reconciling relationships. And you can apply these principles to whatever conflict that you are involved in right now. If it's on Facebook, if it's with your neighbor, if it's in race relations, if it's with your, with your kids, if it's with your marriage, you know, it's really easy for us to pick one thing that makes the news or floats up to the top and forget everything else. You know, we could be so focused on one thing that might not even really be affecting us and completely ignoring other areas that we need to be paying attention to. These principles are transferable to every one of us, regardless of our situations and regardless of our conflict. I want to encourage you to continue to work through this series with us. If you missed any of the past messages, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to them. If you've got any questions about anything that we've talked about today, I would love the opportunity to hear from you. There is a... Uh, online welcome card. That is at the top of your screen if you're watching with us at Springbrook Live, and you can click that link. I would love to know that you were with us this morning. And so if you are with us online, please click that, click that link. Uh, give me your name, number. Down at the bottom, there's a place for you to ask any questions that you might have. I would love the opportunity uh, to talk with you and to help you work on any relationships that you need to work through reconciling. But I want to start with this. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not sure you have a relationship with Christ, I'm telling you, it starts there. None of your other relationships will be what God intended them to be until you are right in your relationship with God through his son. That offer is available to everyone. Jesus died because of the love that the father has for everyone. Jesus died for the love that the father has for everyone. God loves everybody. But only those that have placed their faith in him, only those that have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, only those that understand that he is God and have accepted the forgiveness that has been offered have a right relationship with God. There's a difference between the love that God has for you and being a child of God. And if you do not have a relationship with Christ, then you need to start there this morning. And it is, it's as simple as understanding that he, Jesus is God, that he rose from the grave to prove who he was he claimed to be, and he's offering you forgiveness, and you need to ask for it. Father, forgive me. You ask for forgiveness from your father who loves you. He wants to forgive you. You need to ask for it, though. And it's as simple as saying, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe you're God, that you rose from the grave to prove who you were, and I want you to come in and, and be the Lord of my life. Be my master. I want to submit myself to you. And then you begin to live out the Christian life. There's a lot of people that are trying to live out the Christian life without understanding who they are in Christ. And it's a horse and a cart. It doesn't work. And reconciliation in our relationships don't work as well. And so if you want to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ, please let me know. Pastor Matt, Pastor Joseph, any of our pastoral team, Pastor Tim, our elders, we would love to talk with you about how to have a relationship with Christ. You can do that this morning. If you think that you don't have a relationship with Christ and you want to clarify that in your mind, or maybe you know you don't, I want you to pray with me this morning. You can pray this prayer. Just repeat it after me. It's not the words, but if you believe it and you truly want it, then all you have to do is pray this prayer and mean it from your heart. Believe it in your head and mean it, and you will be saved. And then we'll give you an opportunity to publicly confess that when we have our baptism service. Hopefully, while we're still under quarantine, we'll give you a great story to share with other people or when we come back to meet. We'll give you an opportunity to publicly confess uh, your faith so that you can have the assurance that you have received God's forgiveness and be reconciled to him. And the prayer goes like this. Father, I just want to thank you as best as I know how 
I realize that I am separated from you, that my sin is separated from you. I want to thank you for the grace that you're extending to me through a relationship with your son. I want that gift. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And as best as I know how, I'm asking him to come in and take control of my life. I believe that Jesus is God, that he paid the penalty for my sins, and that he rose from the grave to prove who he was. And I want a relationship with him. I want to experience the fullness of forgiveness that is ours. I want to be reconciled with you so that I can be a peacemaker to the people around me. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer this morning, we'd love the opportunity to celebrate that with you. There should be a little icon. Uh, if you're following along on springbrook.live, there's a place for you to raise your hand uh, if you made that faith commitment. And then after you click that, be sure and give us your name uh, and your contact information so that I can follow up with you. I would love the opportunity to celebrate that decision with you. Or maybe today you've made a faith commitment and you just, you want to get your life back on track and you're making a commitment to return to your first love. You know, we, we want to help you to grow in your faith so that you can be a peacemaker in our community. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's writing this. He says, because of this great news about Christ, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we were once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. We no longer regard Christ in the flesh. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. All of this is from God. Through Christ who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Church, our responsibility is to be reconcilers to our community. We want to help other people to be reconciled to our Heavenly Father just like we are. We want them to experience the forgiveness that we have in Christ just like we have. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Our purpose, our vision is to reach this community for Christ, to build passionate followers. We want you as passionate followers to be effective at helping us to reach our community for Christ. That is the ministry of reconciliation that this church has been entrusted with. And then as a result, we can also be reconciled to one another. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so I want to thank you for being with us this morning as we've looked at principles for how to be reconciled and, and what, what reconciliation and forgiveness are all about. I'm so looking forward to what God would have for us as we continue to move through this series. I'm looking forward to what God has for this body of Christ as we get back together, as we prepare for that, and we equip and encourage one another. And I'm so proud of this church for the way that you have engaged in ministry, even though we have not been meeting together on Sunday mornings. Our ministry never stopped at Springbrook. Our small groups, our ministry teams, our Springbrook family has done a fantastic job of making themselves available for the people around them. And I want to encourage you not to accept going back to a new normal. We are not going to be talking about new normal at Springbrook. There are some things that have changed. There are some things that we're not doing that we don't want to do when we get back together. And there's some things that we're doing right now that we want to continue doing after we come back together. And right now, we want to make sure that people's calendars don't get filled back up with business as usual. We don't want a new normal. We want to be where God has us and be intentional about fulfilling his purposes for us 
as a church, which means we might be making some changes as a church in our ministries and in our lives. And I am so excited about what I know God's going to do and continue to do in and through us. I'm so glad that you are with us this morning. I hope you have a great day. I pray that you are blessed and that you will experience the fullness of that blessing as it relates to God's grace and his forgiveness. Go in peace to serve and love the Lord. Have a wonderful day, and we look forward to seeing you next week.